0: Welcome to episode 12 of Painter Bread Quarterly Slush Pile. Um, I'm always excited to do these, and today I'm extra excited because we have two fresh faces in our podcast with us today. And we're discussing fiction um, for part of the time. So I'm really excited about that as well. Uh, Fiction was my turn on in um, childhood. It's still probably my thing. And um, I'm really excited happy that we're going to discuss some stories today. Um, So let's do what we do and start off by introducing people. I'm Kathleen Volkmiller, I'm director of the graduate program in publishing, co-editor of the Painted Bride Quarterly, and um, so happy to be here on episode 12. Tim Fitz is in the room with me.
1: Hi, I'm Tim Fitz and I've been reading for the Painted Bride Quarterly for about three years now. I'm a fiction writer and I teach first year writing here at Drexel University and I teach also in the liberal arts department at the Curtis Institute of Music.
2: Hmm. Um, hi, I'm Caitlin McLaughlin. I am the digital <clears throat> communications co-op for PBQ. Um, this is about my six month reading with PBQ. I was an intern before I was a co-op. Yep.
3: Hi, I'm Denise Garin, and I'm a photographer, and have been on the PBQ editorial staff for a while now. And this is my first podcast. I'm a podcast virgin today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super, super exciting! And we only have one remote person, which I think is the first time we've done that either. Our remote person is Marion
4: Red. Greetings from New York City. Um, this is Marion, and I have been co-editing PBQ with Kathleen for many years. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about uh, fiction today, um, primarily uh, because I run a series of um, book clubs. So I read popular fiction um, with popular audiences all the time. So I'm super excited to share what the editorial process is like for making decisions about fiction for literary magazines. Very cool.
0: Awesome. Okay. So normally, uh, this is the moment when I say you can find um poems that we're discussing on our podcast pages at pbq.drexel.edu but today um, since it is a story I don't even remember the page count off the top of my head but of course we're not going to read that out loud to you on air so um, we're going to have the entire story available to you on the podcast pages and um, I suggest that you go read it before you listen any further go (laughs) ahead go now we'll wait we'll wait right here so since we are discussing fiction, we're only going to discuss one piece today while we see how this goes. And uh, the story is Proof Rock* by Terry DeBow.
4: Can I make the camera work, like, on the
0: computers? <laughs> <laughs> Can we reverse things? Okay, so hopefully you've read along because um, we you've read it first because we're going to jump right into the conversation, and there will be spoiler alerts. So you will hear um, the plot as we deconstruct it. Um, so, so I think I'm going to start this like I do in my classroom. Like, I allow the first response to be, did you like it? So what would you guys think?
1: Yeah, I've, every time I read a story, I'm almost always looking for an excuse to hate the story so I don't have to read it. <laughs> and the first chance to put a story down, I'll, I do it, and I usually don't go back to the story for years. But when the when the raccoon was in the ceiling and coming down... I guess that just hit a note for me, being from Florida. Where <laughs> this type of stuff can happen any time, at any day, whether it's a coyote or a raccoon or an alligator <laughs> or snakes or rats or birds. <laughs> and so, um, so that's what I, so it forced me to confront, I guess, the physicality of the story, the nature of the story. So then I would, you know, once I'm in then I've stopped looking for that excuse. And then I'm like ho- hoping that it h- keeps solid. So I, yeah, I got there pretty fast, so I liked it. I'm not sure about if I like the ending, but I liked the read. The, the whole experience was very pre- pleasurable.
4: So let me, let me jump in on that too, Tim, because it's like, you know, okay, so the title of the piece is called Proof Rock which conjures a whole bunch of stuff, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, T.S. Eliot, like, what's the relationship with the poem? Like, you know, it's, it's a pretty bold move maneuver for a title for a short story in a literary magazine, right? Um, and then I think DuBose's first line had, had me paying attention. So, the morning of the raccoons, I had the shower head set on a hard, pounding staccato, has a lovely rhythm, right? Like, it's just, I'm, I'm charmed by that sentence. And then, as you said, like these images of like raccoons falling out of the ceiling, like it, it is mildly horrifying and also potentially common, and maybe that's part of the horror of it. Right? <laughs> and then that whole thing becomes like the the, the universe of this really painful, um, disintegrating and burgeoning marriage, and then you get this wackadoo ending that I really want to talk to you guys about, like what on earth happens at the end to proof rock?
0: Yeah, yeah, well, let's let's get there. Um, it's funny, Mary, that you read that first line because I had that same idea. I was even thinking about reading the first paragraph. So, um...
4: Oh, do it, do it, do it.
0: Okay, I think I'll do it. Good. Um, <laughs> the morning of the raccoons, I had the shower head set on a hard pounding staccato. I was staring straight into the water, counting the intervals between the spurts, thinking of how much I wanted to avoid the two people on the other side of the door. That's when I noticed that the ceiling above me was bouncing. Not a two-year-old on the bed sort of bouncing, more like what I imagine the ocean looks like from below, slow and rhythmic. Without taking my eyes off the ceiling, I reached for the handle and turned off the shower. Now, if I were teaching this in a class, I would praise that first
3: paragraph
0: um, and point out why it works. And for for me, it works, and I think it would work for most readers, um, because we have so much tension built up during this very simple act. A man is taking a shower, but we know it's the morning of the raccoons. Right? And we know, like Marion just pointed out, that there's another plot line of tension in the family. Right? I wanted to avoid the two people on the other side of the door. So there's two, you know, finger crooks <laughs> <laughs> at us going, come on, come on, right? And then the descriptions themselves are just so well written, you know, that I'm definitely reading that next paragraph if I'm a reader.
1: Right. Yeah, I feel like the last sentence. I've, when you hear about people saying that song is about me, <laughs> I feel like that last sentence hits that target audience for him. There's a sizable amount of the, I don't know how, how large a po- part of the population that lives their life like that, which is just something they suddenly have to deal with that's going to be horrifying. And, uh, it, but it's, it's exactly how you feel. You don't take your eyes off the ceiling. You just turn the shower off and you're kind of hoping it's going to disappear. It's going to resolve itself magically. But it's not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Caitlin
2: and Denise, what are your initial I was horrified in the very <laughs> beginning. I mean, um, with the title Proof Rock, you know, I was kind of like Tim looking for a reason to like stop reading it. I thought maybe it's going to be like cliche. We're going to go for the J. Alfred Proof Rock thing going on. But oh my gosh, like the first page um, where it said, I saw a raccoon the size of a bear cub land in the tub, shake itself off and lift its head in my direction. That's horrifying. <laughs> I couldn't get
0: that image out of my head. And, and it's actually also because it's so well drawn, right? You can yeah. see oh, right. that raccoon, right? Oh yeah, definitely.
3: Denise? I just, I love that image too Without taking the eyes off the ceiling and being forced out the door, being forced out. I can see him stepping slowly out of the shower. Um, Yeah, horrified is a good, Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're slow and rhythmically doing up there. (laughs) I was a little little thrown with that. Like what could they, what what Uh, are they doing? I think even if they were
0: pacing, right, it might, if they're just pacing, I imagine like they, when raccoons come in your house I'm sure Tim will correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, because he knows about <laughs> all the wildlife in America.
3: But um, <laughs> I also th- I thought it might I, be like a mother with babies. That was that. That's what I kind of came up with. What, the, like well, I, this I, fat raccoon mother and her.
0: When animals get in your house, they don't want to be in your house. They're trapped, and they like I know this for sure with squirrels. Uh oh, Tim's making faces at me. <laughs> I might be wrong. But I think he, he when an animal. They're very
1: happy up there.
0: When an animal <laughs> gets yes, in your house, right they might have been. They're
1: uncomfortable with us being yeah. in there. That's for certain.
0: <laughs> they might have been initially seeking shelter, but I think it's an alien environment for them, and they, they are a little wigged, you know, when they get in your house. I know, I know that squirrels, when they get in, they want to get out immediately. They don't want to be there. So maybe, I don't know, I just pictured them pacing like anything that was trapped.
3: Mm. You know, it's funny. I thought the exact opposite. I'm, I'm in Tim's corner, where they have made yeah. themselves at home in a place that allowed them to, mm. and have now broken through that wall and. And he is just not strong enough to deal with it.
1: I mean, there's a there's a mirror story on the opposite side of this, where the raccoon is talking about, I can't believe I moved into this place with people. I gotta, how can I get rid of them? I'm gonna kill their cat. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Eat the
4: couch. And I'm gonna lock the door. Right. But okay. So, but the author, I, I like Denise. Where Denise is going with this too? It's right, like the it sort of becomes a way of thinking about that house too right like these animals have well, we, the word later is like infested it right um but it becomes a sort of like just metaphor for the 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 what disintegration of something and also the fertility right like i, I like this image of like you know a raccoon family above the ceiling Right, because this this messed up family is both reproducing and, and eating itself alive, basically. Right. So, yeah, I I don't know. It's a it is a it's a dismaying story of a of a modern family, certainly. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the seals too, with with the image of um, our armed forces in other countries. Yeah. This yeah. is probably how there's some similarity of feeling for people in Iraq or Afghanistan having.
2: Our right, right. Uh, presence there. Right, and it's something we choose not to think about until it quite literally falls through our ceiling on top of <laughs> us, you know. Um, right, they yeah. have been um, not confronting all these issues in the family, and then all of a sudden it's there. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. If there's one line, though, that I would love to cut, it's, it will surprise no one who knows me that I opted for flight, because I, I knew that before that sentence was there. I mean, that's just a little clip, but that's one of the moments where, ah.
0: You know what um, what Tim brings up right now, normally when we're discussing poetry, we can do a line-by-line thing where we say, I'm going to ask him to cut this line, or why did we go here? And it is, this is an interesting experience right now to talk about fiction, because there's a line in the second paragraph that I would ask him to cut, and I've been debating since I read this. First off, do we get that specific on this podcast? You know, and I don't think we do. What do you guys think? Only because we're not reading yeah. along. Our readers have read it, yeah. but yeah. but and they yeah. could access it. They could yeah. have it in front of them while they listen. But they might read and then yeah. listen to the podcast.
4: I I to Kathy. That's you and I were talking about this briefly before the podcast started, and that is like, do we owe it to the to the listening audience, right, to like provide some sort of like upfront summary of the piece, right, and. You know, we can disagree about that, but I, I do think there's, like, the, the, before we start to take lines out, right, or edit or suggest edits, that the, the first move is really to represent the piece fairly, to render it, to talk, like, to, to what are the pieces, what's its, what's its drive, what are the characters, what's the move of it, so that we can all see it clearly, see what's working or not working, and then, that that second or third order of line edit comes into play
0: right? right and i don't know if that comes into play during a podcast at right. all is what i'm I saying that you. might be minutiae or for i think we should talk about it in a bigger way but i didn't prepare yeah. a synopsis so i'm not sure how yeah. to handle that um
4: well yeah i don't know that i'm asking for a synopsis necessarily i think maybe i'm asking for like understandings of it right so okay you know i guess like my, i guess what for me like my understanding of the piece is that it starts with the raccoon right that's the sort of like trigger for what becomes uh, a, you know a sad story of a family disintegrating that ends up with the return to this infested house to save a cat and then that goes strangely
0: yeah. That, well, again yeah, I don't know if we should get into that d- discussion yet, but you're right. Yep. So they go back to the house to rescue a cat. It goes strangely, and so that is a, a final, the a final uh, straw. Is such a stupid word to use, but like that is the thing that makes our protagonist realize it is over. He is not fixing this marriage. Yeah. And um, he has to get out of Dodge with his yeah. teen son.
4: Well, what did you guys make of that the sort of middle of the piece where they've left the house, right? The, the wife is packed up their stuff in 30 seconds, right? And then they go to her, her parents' house. Like, what's what was your take on the middle of the story?
0: Well, and let's not forget the grocery store. The grocery right. store in the mall was yeah. was <laughs> fascinating to me. Um, I, for one, okay, so it starts with the shower and the raccoons infesting, and then, he goes to work like a normal day because he guess he doesn't know what else to do, right? His wife completely gets, um, you know, f- freaks out, panics, and takes off to her parents' house. But he goes to work, and his job is um, at a gourmet grocery store in a mall. Right. Which I never even heard of such a thing, but I guess that's what they have in, in um, Cleveland. Maybe. That's where our author's writing from, but <laughs> 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 Oh, I think he does say mall in Cleveland, doesn't he? When he names the grocery. Yeah. So I'm um, already it is. I mean, Williams Emporium is a gourmet food store in the haughtiest mall in Cleveland. Um Right. Right. We're going to make so many Cleveland jokes right now, don't we? Like, (laughs) what does that mean if you're the haughtiest mall in Cleveland? Um, But anyway, so, you know, I, for one, was having empathy for this man. And then he goes to this job, which might not be the most rewarding or satisfying job. And then we get another layer that he's working for his in-laws.
3: I felt... That the in-laws were the way in to sort of know Lauren. Yeah. Because we don't really know much about her. And we get her character, particularly through her father, I thought. Right, right. Um, One of my favorite lines was he has the way of smiling while hating you he doesn't move <laughs> his lower lip it's very off-putting and i i had to make the face myself while i was reading it and i had to look at myself and it's like the worst we smile it? it is what you don't want to ever encounter that and right. it just gave me such a clear picture of her father
4: yeah yeah. Isn't his isn't his hair piece judgmental too? Wasn't there like Yes. A, like, <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> Everything about the man it was really yeah. I, I liked yeah. the picture that the drew. And and it's funny too, the the couple, the mother in law and father in
0: law, the mother in law just glares, doesn't he <laughs> doesn't say <laughs> words, right? He does she doesn't yeah. even wave back when he comes in. Yeah. And then the father in law is kinda like up his grill. In his face. I mean, he's he got in you know?
1: He's their raccoon.
4: Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. uh, well said. But, I mean, that, that's it exactly, too. Like, before we get to this sort of, like, hobby mall, this quotidian, like, desperate existence of his, right? He has left his wife <laughs> and his son in the house with those raccoons and gone to work. Like, I don't, that is so... <laughs> Like um, I have that that leap for me was really like, who is this guy? like who does that? Right? well that
0: that's yeah. funny because I didn't I didn't you know she was also out of dodge in fifteen seconds. I didn't see that he left her at the house with the raccoons. I thought they all skidaddled and he went to work well, and she went to mom yeah because she's he, an he excellent he packer.
4: His, he, he packed up his stuff and he didn't expect to see all of the stuff in in his in this guest room at his in-law's house and that's where the penny drops that the marriage is over, right? Right. Like, oh, so,
3: so
2: there's
4: a, there's right. There's so gap. she was
3: there longer, so that was our clue that he left before her. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Yeah. And he didn't really necessarily even tell her about the raccoons <laughs> off the bat. I was wondering, why would you just not tell your family?
3: <laughs> what did he say? He was fatigued? Yeah, he said, um, what's <laughs> with Fat- the chair, me? Ted? <laughs>
2: He didn't tell his son either, even though he was just playing video games. Like, nothing happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know what it just made me think of is twice we have people just staring into their own space to avoid making eye contact. That's what that moment is like, too, isn't it? He gets dressed and goes to work. She, She strokes her proof rock the cat for a while. And the kid is playing the video games. We don't know how fat, I just know that uh, there is a line about how quickly she packed. Yeah, the,
4: 30, <laughs> she's, the father says it, right? That she packed in 30 seconds. And then
2: he said she's
4: right? good
1: at that or something yeah. like
2: that.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. If I was teaching this story in the class, I would probably talk a lot about the um, the exterminator. This guy, this guy's wonderful for me because yeah. he's outside of the situation. is so calm about it. Not an advised situation, amigo. When he talks about having the the, uh, the raccoon in the shower, the exterminator responds, "Not an advised situation, amigo." Um, and he's so distant, and, and that I, for me, that's us, the reader, being able to look at this from a little bit of a distance, where it's his. I mean, we're so disinterested in people's problems unless it directly affects us. And, um, and I like that he keeps this, this guy in there for a little bit, keeps a, keeps a presence. For me, that really softens the, uh, the, the hard edge of the whole raccoon, broken, saved marriage, all these issues, and gives us some, uh, some distance and maybe pulls the rest of the story into relief in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah, I'm in love with the that that, I mean, for me that's brilliant. That's such a wonderful move, for this writer to put that guy in there.
4: Yeah. Jake the Exterminator. Yeah. Well, on those lines too, like he's the one who says the line about "Let's see what Mother Nature has in store for us," mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think that's his line, and and for me that sort of like chimes back to the moment in the in-laws' house where our speaker, like, like the penny drops, right? Like where he, he realizes not only that the marriage is broken, but that his wife is pregnant, right? And like all that information sort of comes from the side a little bit. And that too is mother nature, right? There's like these inevitabilities and this wildness to this thing that's also like crushingly contained in this this house, you know, this this unhappy home. Yeah.
2: There's a lot of masking going on. I noticed the author um, kept saying things like, I appreciate it, I really did, also I resented the heck out of it. Like, Mm -hmm. and then he does that a few times. Um, They were good people, but they were also terrible. So he keeps trying to mask his emotions, and that's kind of the whole theme of, you know, pretending things aren't happening, staying in your own little bubble.
0: Yeah, well, and at dinner, at the awkward time at the in-laws, where he's now discovered the boxes, he, he, it, it dawns on him that uh, Lauren is actually leaving him. Um, he goes in the bathroom mirror and gives himself a pep talk, uh, almost militaristic pep talk, right, about, you know, you get out there and you do whatever it takes, right? And then when he gets out there, he's, again, rather ineffectual. And it takes him another minute, you know, beep, 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 to realize she's pregnant. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. I guess that goes with the whole, like, J. Alfred proof rock theme, you know, not actually doing anything, but constantly wanting to jump in and participate and take charge of the situation, but just kind of being a, an observer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely.
0: So, okay, so to keep on going with what literally happens. So he makes that, um, he makes the discovery that his wife is pregnant. They they fight even dropping the F-bomb at the dining room table with stoic mother-in-law who still hasn't said a damn word, right? Um... And then Jeremy, the, um, the the troubled teenage son, realizes that Proofrock the cat is missing, that they, mm-hmm. she might have packed up that house in 30 seconds, she might have loved that cat so much, um, but she forgot the cat. So <clears throat> Jeremy goes on his first Navy SEAL mission with dad mm-hmm. to see if they can retrieve that cat. And I this is not in there. This is me completely projecting. But I feel like our protagonist is hoping that if he gets proofrock back, it'll be some some saving grace, right? Something yeah. that Lauren will maybe not take him back with open arms, but it'll it'll help his case if he can get that cat back. Right? But when they get to the house, he's afraid to open the door. They make no plan. They have no weaponry. Right. <laughs> they just go to the house and then stand outside the door, and Dad <laughs> is afraid to open the door. So I don't know what he was thinking, but Jeremy um, is seeing it like his video games, and he jumps right in. And now is the moment that Marion and I had a, had a different... We did not discuss this, honest no. to God. We did not. No, we did not, but Marion sent me a text that said, he killed the cat? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. And I went, what? Because I hadn't read it that way at all. I thought Jeremy found the, um, the, I don't know, what would you call it, Jim? I mean, Tim. <laughs> the ripped up, the ripped up. I'm thinking of Jeremy and all these names. I you read know? it
1: as if the raccoons had killed the cat. That's what. Yeah, also, yeah. but I'd love it if he killed the cat. <laughs> if he killed the cat.
4: Uh, I don't I, think he killed I the know,
1: cat. Exactly. He,
4: he I have to, to tell you though, like I. So, so two quick things. I love the way that Kathy led up to this too, because it's that moment where Lauren. Like, I can only imagine what Lauren must have felt like when she realized that Prufrock, the cat that she loved, is what she left behind, right? Like, uh, and then She's the, the, the excellent <laughs>
3: packer, and forget right? of <laughs> all right? of her things. Right,
4: and Jeremy's like, you can be guaranteed she'll be a shitty mother, right? The finals, the, that last move starts with Lauren was apoplectic when we left to get the cat, right? So for me, that if we look at this, the penultimate part of the, the story, right? Um, it's, uh, if i if i'm if i'm reading it right and maybe i I don't know maybe i'm just a dark dark person but there's something about like jeremy goes into the like the room there's like three bumps and a screech and then he comes out and then and then our our narrator says please tell me that's a raccoon Right. right like yeah. like I had to reread that twice. Yeah. I heard two loud thumps and a screech and then there there he was holding something in both hands in front of him. Right? Like what? Well, like what Maybe happened? by mistake.
3: Can I Do you can think I, you could have killed it by mistake?
0: I have a big maybe. reality yeah. check on this. A big reality check. If a cat has been trapped in the house with the raccoons, that cat is not gonna be in an obvious place, Jeremy's not going to yeah. be able to walk in the room and kill him with his bare hands in five seconds. That cat is hiding somewhere. That cat's in a dresser drawer if it's not dead, right? There's no, he's not going to walk in a dark room and find that cat that fast
2: and kill it. Yeah, I took it that um, the cat was defending the family because of the last sentence. I imagine Proofrock trying to fend off the attack, and I can't imagine or get my hands around what I'm capable of because. That isn't at the point that Prue was the one who is trying to defend this house from all of the
4: raccoons,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and he
4: dies. I don't. I was. I don't know. Accidentally or otherwise, it, it this, the, the plot reads as if the kid has killed the cat. Well, not right? for everyone, though. Yeah. Well, right. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, mm-hmm. until you said it, all four of us did not think that. Yeah. Right? And now, once you've planted the, our heads, we're trying to find the textual evidence either way. But again, um, I, I would just repeat myself. I didn't see him for half a minute, for half a minute. In 30 seconds, he finds a cat and kills it. I don't think so. <coughs> so.
1: That, I mean, that needs to be cleared up. It could, it, it could be the uh, raccoon that's screeching and running away. -hmm. And that the raccoon had killed the cat, and now he's just picking Mm -hmm. it up and holding him out. I don't think that's
4: true, Tim That's true, right? Right.
1: I still don't think the cat would let the raccoon kill him. (laughs) The cat would get away. Cats are cats are hard to catch.
4: Well, again, and then the 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 likelihood that the drama of the cat being killed by a raccoon while they're standing there also slim, right? But it's two loud thumps and a screech, and then there he was. Right. Yeah. So timing wire or, or what else? Something has happened. Either the raccoon kills the cat, or the kid kills the cat, mistakenly or otherwise. Two loud thumps and a screech, and then he's holding the. The raccoon. And you know what? It's so funny. I just got finished watching the ESPN OJ series. (laughs) And I I realized, like, as we were talking about this, we're reading the textual evidence for evidence of what this crime, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, what happened here? Like, we only have pieces of information that are coming through, right? Yeah. so So for me, it's like both like a delight and also kind of frustrating not to have a clearer sense of this moment right like so that is that is both a strength and a weakness of the piece for me like i'm like what just happened and then it ends so quickly with that yeah
0: right and i had no question so that i don't have the second half of it like what i don't have the what I thought mm-hmm. I got it, you know. The two mm-hmm. thumps are just, ra- and definitely screech is a sound for a raccoon for, in my mind, right? So <laughs> two thumps, you know, they are big lumberous kind of bodies on the raccoons. I just thought that the raccoons were scurrying away, and the screech was one of the raccoons still trying to defend the prey ah, he just
4: killed. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> you know.
1: For, for me, proofrock doesn't have to die in the story. For me, if the if the raccoons just haven't been caught by the traps that elevates the problem significantly if the traps don't work how are they going to get the raccoons it's, this is a huge problem that he's not going to take care of and it's easy easier for this guy to just walk out on the marriage than to fix the raccoon problem to me that's the story yeah and it i don't want it to be about proofrock cuz i don't care that much about proof Rock. i mean i i just don't care
0: about the cat m- about
1: the cat that much i mean yeah, I, I, sure. I don't want to see the I, don't, don't I just don't like feel that. anything yeah I just have no connection to it but I, sure. I do feel a connection towards everything else in the story the parents then, I mean can I you
4: guys, what's that Tim just deal, can you just deal with that very last move then like why does he drive away you know, why does he just drive away like
1: I don't know the know, last like, 11 lines I yeah. mean as much as I love everything about the story up until the last 11 lines the last 11 lines I just am not into at all Uh And for me, that happens all the time when I'm writing a story.
4: Uh
1: Um, A friend of mine that I show my work to will tell me, yeah, everything's great, but the last the, the last page sucks.
4: Just redo it.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly. And so you got to stick the landing and then and that sometimes it takes 5 or 10 times and then you stick it.
0: Yeah. it's, it's always the ending where people cop out or yeah. tank out, right? Now, I'm not saying I felt that way about this one, but I'm saying endings are are hard. Yeah. And I wasn't hugely satisfied by this ending, but yet you know, we sometimes talk about forgiveness when we're reading more like, the rest of the piece is so good for me. These characters are so real and so well drawn. And everyone, but I guess mother-in-law, is multi-dimensional. Um, I wasn't thrilled with that ending, but I was um, willing to forgive it based on everything else that happened. And you know, and my, my kind of corny read is, you know, the protagonist is proofrock. He can't do anything right. He just keeps kind of blundering along and getting in the car and driving away with Jeremy is, you know, another move. He hasn't
3: changed. This this oh, he makes episode. no decision. There's no yeah. he never makes any decision or even an opinion. Kind of like you were saying, they're good mm-hmm. people, but they're terrible people. Mm-hmm. He's caught in his indecision all the time. Yeah. Even with the um, I forget his name now. The exterminator Jake. Jake. He kind of calls out and feels like he needs to parent Jeremy, like sees the obvious lack of 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 strength or
0: yeah. Well, that's another Jake moment. There's a lot of lovely humor in here. I don't know if I'm uh, this is a bad segue at this moment, but there's there there. I definitely chuckled aloud. I think quite a few times, and one of the times is when Jake says to. Um, The protagonist, um, hey, let's hope we both get laid tonight. Like, And it's out of nowhere whatsoever. And then he notices Jeremy the teenager because it's the first time Jeremy the teenager does or says anything. And he laughs at this. And then Jake... Changes completely and is like, stay in school,
3: stay off drugs, <laughs> keep your pecker in your pants. Well, he is right, right? he is so in charge, he's like the polar opposite. He is in charge of everything. Right. He's gonna kill right. those raccoons, <laughs> he's gonna parent that son, he's gonna get laid, <laughs> right? He's gonna scratch right. his balls until they pay him. Like, that's what
0: he's
2: gonna do. He's like,
3: that he knows now. what he's gonna right. do. Yeah. so
0: he's a cartoonish alpha male in, yeah. in juxtaposition to the protagonist, right? The Jeremy says, Yes, sir. And and Dad has never heard him say sir before, right? And I just loved that the advice was the exact opposite. He said, I hope we get laid, and then he goes, keep your pecker in your pocket. (laughs) (laughs) So he knew, Jake did know how to handle a kid, right? Yeah. There's a lot of chuckle moments, I think. There are moments where where we chuckle.
1: I think he also sort of parents the protagonist when he says... um It'll be all right, sport. I'll kill those bastards and leave you the carcasses to piss on. It, I mean, he's going to kill the raccoons, but it doesn't mean he's going to deal with them after that. He's yeah. just going to kill them, and then he's... That's it. And he still has to take some sort of responsibility for the situation.
4: Yeah. Right. So, like, I guess that, for me, too, is part of the charm of the story. It's, like, yeah. all of these different kinds of masculinity getting played out here. Right? Yeah. To, to more or less comic effect. Right? Mm-hmm. Um Which... And I also think, like, again, that the the ending, just to draw us back there for a moment, like, there's such a sense of, like, fatherly protection, right? Like, driving away with Jeremy. I mean, if you follow the emotional logic through, he's in this terrible, like, situation with his wife. She's the one who forgot the cat. The cat dies, right? Why would he not go back to to let her know this and instead choose to drive off? There's, like, some impulse to separate. Is it totally passive or is he protecting Jeremy? Like, it's just. It's not clear. It's interesting, but it just feels a little yeah. bit underdeveloped for me. When yeah. there's so much else going on beautifully in the story.
0: Yeah, and it's funny that you would say that underdeveloped develop part because I, even though this protagonist is not this like strong hero, mm-hmm. I would like to spend more time with this family. I really would. I don't. I don't. I think they're really rich. Think about. I mean, this is 13 pages, so that's not a short short story, but I think. A lot happens in 13 pages. And I think, Mare, from the beginning, that he, his first um, insults directed at Lauren are her wanting to play stepmom, Mm -hmm. and Jeremy is mine. You know, and that attitude doesn't stop. You know, when Jeremy tells him he wants to join the Navy SEALs, he's like, give me two years to talk you out of it. Right, he says at the end,
3: too, the raccoons can have the house, but Lauren doesn't get to keep the baby for herself, and neither the SEALs nor his mother get to take Jeremy from me. Yeah. It's like his claim. Yeah. Right. On also the new baby.
1: I feel like this is a great story. If there was a class on fatherhood,
3: (laughs) people could just read this and talk about which
1: areas this guy's failing because sometimes i think it's not so clear to men you get caught up in a moment and you wow. think well what's the right or wrong situation so yeah, so what yeah. and then when you look at it from this you think oh yeah he's there's like 10 or 15 moments yeah that are totally fi- i mean for me the marriage is totally fixable here he can fix it if he just handles four or five of these problems but he's just gonna cop out at right. every critical moment
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. um Denise, are you thinking what I'm thinking? What am I thinking? We should open up parenting classes, parenting through fiction. <laughs> right? Right? We could do that. And, yeah. and we use this story, this is and Andre DeBuse a father story, to teach about fathering. Yes.
3: That's oh, I'm so
0: excited. <laughs> this is happening. Counseling Center, parenting through fiction.
4: <laughs> well, you know what? I have a colleague at NYU Abizabi who's putting his work together for a first year writing seminar, and he wants to call it Generations, but it really is about masculinity and fathering. So, and yeah. it's also climbing with him, becoming a new father himself. And it's, it's really quite lovely to see how he's, you know, like <laughs> using his life experience in a first year writing class.
0: We are going to have to have him Skype Skype in a guest lecture at our counseling center Here in Collingswood.
1: <laughs> well, I, I do think this is... Yes, we will. I mean, this is one of the things I try to tell my students in, in all of my classes when we read short stories is you can either learn the hard lessons in life through stories or you can live it it's so much easier just to read the story and figure out what losers these people are than figure (laughs) it out than do it the hard way and I think that's one of the uh, maybe one of the top five functions of literature is just to is to guide a culture and I think that's one thing we're losing in our culture right now Um, with uh, maybe the lack of stories that we're reading in classes or in the curriculum and a lot of schools where I teach around town we're just teaching teaching people how to write, but not necessarily teaching them how to read. Mm. Because this story really made me think, like not thinking as a reader or writer or teacher, anything, just like, oh my God, am I like this? (laughs) (laughs) And it's a great moment to have when you're reading a story. So you can just tweak those little (laughs) things before anybody finds out.
0: Um. I'm going to go back to that minutia question. There, I, I think we might be ready to vote. We can certainly talk a little bit longer, but if we're ready to vote, I would like to vote um, with the bit of the caveat that there might be a line or two here or there. There might be a couple requests to the author um, so we could vote knowing that edits are still allowed. Does that sound right? Do you guys want to keep talking? about this piece in particular?
1: I think we're there. I feel like we could keep talking, but I think
0: we're there.
2: Could keep going on.
0: You feel good, Mayor, about voting? Yeah, let's
4: vote, I think we're ready.
0: Okay. All right, Joe, you ready? All right, one, two, three, vote. We're waiting for New York. <laughs> I'm not going to reveal who's where and what, but it's in. Yay, Terry DeBoe. Terry DeBoe's Proof Rock um, will be in an upcoming issue of PVQ. I'm very, very excited. So, our first piece of fiction got in, and I really wasn't sure if it would or not. <laughs> so, that's always a fun time. Um, so I'm not sure now, and I'm going to make a, uh, ask Marion to make a decision with me, um, during this recording, which is our plan was to talk about, um, the second no that we have received out of maybe 30 requests to be on this podcast and try to see if we can just, you know, hypothetically, we won't really get to the bottom of it, but hypothetically get to the bottom of it, um... So we could discuss that, which was the plan. Or the new idea would be to discuss fiction on a podcast uh, and liken it to film review podcasts, TV synopsis podcasts. Like, are people listening to them instead of watching a little of both? What do we do? What are our habits? And and that kind of thing. What do you guys...
4: actually, I like the second... Uh, topic because it, it really does give us a minute to just reflect on what we just did yeah and, just, and think about like how people are listening to the podcasts right sure and I. so I think that's a great topic
0: okay yeah it's more related to what we're doing right now yeah. we can save yeah. that other one will last that other one has a shelf life so yeah um so while we were talking before we got on air um I'm very much a podcast addict I know some people aren't (laughs) and I make various decisions based on um, if uh, uh, the example I used earlier is pop culture happy hours one of my favorite um, podcasts and they will put you know right in the notes uh, right even what you see on your phone what they're going to be talking about if they're going to be talking about something that I intend to watch I skip that podcast until I watch whatever that is if they're talking about something I have no intention of ever watching, but I know it's happening in the pop culture, I will listen so that I know about this thing that everybody's talking about, right? Um, and Marion, you were saying earlier, do you have friends who do what?
4: Yeah, so um, I met up with some friends, some colleagues from NYU. We had brunch the other day and we were just comparing notes about the podcasts we listened to. And some of them are saying that they actually enjoy the like recap shows um, in both podcasts or even sort of like YouTube video recap shows for television series, like Game of Thrones, for instance, that the recap shows are somehow more um, satisfying (laughs) than the appointment television or the watching of the primary text, which I just think is super, super cool and interesting. So for instance, like um, Downton Abbey, right? Like there was a great uh, podcast by one of the people who had been on this Lake Culture Gab Fest and her name escapes me. But she ran this like, you know, recap podcast for Downton Abbey and people were listening to that rather than watching the show anymore because they found the show <laughs> kinda of tedious. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's interesting. That's an approach, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it might be so
0: show specific, right?
4: Yeah.
0: Uh, Downton Abbey in particular, my joke about Downton Abbey, that it doesn't matter if I fall asleep while I'm watching it and I can just <laughs> watch the next episode and it won't even, right. you know, like so right. little ever happens. Um, right. So what are what are other thoughts on this phenom?
2: I really do the same thing. If I haven't seen, you know, a music video or something like that that really adds up to something important in pop culture, then I'll definitely just look up YouTube videos or articles about it. I know with "Lemonade" by Beyonce, I like never actually, <laughs> I never saw it um, because I never downloaded title, and it just, I just never got around to it. But I, you know, watched all the YouTube reviews of it and um, read all of the reviews of it, so I feel like I saw it, even though I didn't <laughs> actually, didn't right. actually see it. Yeah, you know
0: what? When- that,
2: that actually came up
0: in one of our podcast once, Beyonce's Lemonade because of that because it becomes like a part yeah. of your um, psyche and your you know our culture even if you don't experience it you can't avoid certain things right mm-hmm.
4: yeah well hey say too like the spirit of the Slush Pile podcast right is to what what's the phrase we use like we're pulling back the veil on the editorial process right, right? Um, so that's our motive for it but like I'm, now I'm thinking, well, what's an audience members mode show like this? right? Yeah, to listen to editorial like discussion. But like, is it also a kind of gatekeeping? Is it also a kind of like a vetting of the material so that the the show is saying like, okay, this piece is worth reading. this piece is not worth reading. So now I may go back to the, the show notes or the the publication to read it, or you know what I mean? like mm-hmm. so what is the logic of the of a podcast like this or critical review? podcast is it is it a kind of gatekeeping is it a kind of review is it or is it a recap right like and i think you know the recap show is completely different than what we're doing you know so what what is it how does this thinking about the audience help refine what we're doing especially for fiction like it just feels different for fiction than it does poetry
0: well we can't drill down to the line by line in the way that we do with poems right and maybe you know our original intent was simply what you said pull back the veil let people see that the moment between uh when they send a work out and acceptance or rejection
4: yeah right so
0: it's a behind the scenes podcast right are there other behind the scenes ideas out there that's Mm. right it's the making of it's the making of pbq
2: (laughs) it's definitely educational too you know i feel like it's a resource for people who might submit to pbq for um you know writers in general for me it's been an educational experience just knowing the process of submitting to literary magazines yeah yeah Uh
4: And and i'm super curious too to like all right so um, Terry debo is gonna listen to this podcast we've and we've just spent an hour talking about his piece it's accepted right and it's gonna be in PBQ but I want I do wonder what the experience is like for him right like I
3: really wonder that too actually like, 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 How is like,
4: he gonna take it in you know
3: I want to like ask him to clear up our questions or
4: <laughs> well, uh, we can, I know. We can yeah. absolutely
0: do that but um he uh, I spoke with him to um, you know clarify what it meant to be on the podcast he had some questions and one of the questions was why did you choose this piece why why you know and i thought that was really fascinating and you know be and he knew he was fully on board that it could be rejected just as easily you know um and he listened i did want to tell you guys this for all of our listeners as well He just picked a random podcast and he listened to episode seven, which I like to fondly call the Coyote episode. Oh, I love (laughs) Coyote. And I was like, of all episodes to listen to, you picked a good one randomly, right? So, um, you know, we are getting response back to the people whose work from the people whose work we discussed. Obviously, they've all been poets, but everyone has been um, going into this terrorized and thrilled, you know, yeah. Yeah. like uh, riding a roller coaster, even though they're afraid of it. Um, right. And, you know, we've had people say that they've responded very emotionally, that they cried, you know, but people are using, but not because we were so mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the what they had written about was so personal and emotional and evocative. Um, but... All of the feedback even from people who have rejected has been that
3: was fascinating. Here's so. my question to Terry Debo: Terry DeBeau. Yeah. Who yeah. killed the cat? <laughs> <laughs> or or are we supposed to wonder if right. I am I left to wonder and I'm okay with either either answer? Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah? yeah. Well we can certainly ask him. Um, but that doesn't mean we're going to publish it or make it public in any way. So, all of our readers, in fact, that would be a great, a great. Uh, maybe it could go viral, the debate online. Who killed? Who killed? Who killed, killed Proof <laughs> Rock? rock. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's how market yeah,
0: yeah. this podcast. <laughs> so every one of our episodes does have a corresponding Facebook um, <laughs> event page, and that's where you can give us that feedback. Um, read the piece and tell us who killed Proofrock, and we'll see what happens. That'll be fun. <laughs>
3: Great.
0: Yeah, so I guess we should wrap up now. I guess that's it for today. So episode 12, successful fiction Conversation, I would I would call it that, and I would say, please um, listen. We come out every other week. We have free stickers for you if you send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. Always pbq.drexel.edu is where you can get both these podcasts and their corresponding pages. And you can subscribe to this podcast um, anywhere you'd like. And please review us and share share it once you fall in love. So um, and keep writing. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.
2: This podcast is produced through a joint venture of Drexel University's Office of Information, Resources, and Technology and the Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine.
1: This podcast is the property of Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. All rights reserved.